0: This is part two of my interview with Eric Rawson. This is a portion of the interview that I thought I lost due to losing power thanks to the freak California storm. And uh, as it turns out, I was able to recover it, rookie podcaster mistake. If I had more experience, I would have known that initially, Uh, but I was able to get it. You guys are going to get to check it out, which I'm, I'm glad because it was some really good content. At the end of this, there is the final wrapping up of the interview that I did lose due to the power. That's not recoverable. Um, but it was right as I was about to conclude, so you didn't miss anything. So please enjoy the rest of the interview with Eric Rawson. If you're if you're training in very, very low rep ranges, it, the, the hypertrophy may not be as good as going a little higher. Um, you know, you're talking one, two, three reps per set mm-hmm. going up to, say, five or six. Um, or as you get to the extreme high rep ranges, you start moving away from hypertrophy. Al- although, interestingly, you know, in, in the last few years, research has come out that shows that you can accomplish hypertrophy just as well with low weight, high repetition training or low load, high repetition training provided those loads are above, I think it's about 30, 30 or 40% of one rep maximum. Mm -hmm. So as long as the loads aren't too small, if they are effective for, for hypertrophy, what do you you think about that? Yeah. And I think that's
1: great research, you you know um, the extremely heavyweight, low repetition uh, type of programs, are wonderful for developing strength. And um, they develop strength better than they would develop um, increases in muscle mass or muscle hypertrophy. Uh, because strength is is um, it's a bit of a skill, right? You you can you can practice the deadlift and get stronger uh, be, by learning how to deadlift better. So, right. so sh- strength at that level is, is, is a skill. Uh, adding muscle mass can come from much lighter resistances and much higher repetition schemes than anyone ever thought before. And then the research that's consistently shown that is very high quality research uh, from some great labs. Uh, and uh, I, I like it because it has uh, allowed people to consider that, you know, pushups at home could really improve the muscle mass of your upper body. Don't, don't write, don't write off pushups, you know, in, in favor of you have to do bench presses. And, and I think people, people sometimes conflate, um, you know, what they see in the gym with different types of goals. So when, when someone says you can't accomplish that with uh, higher repetitions or body weight exercises, what, what, what's your goal is, is your goal to increase your bench press strength is your goal to compete in powerlifting okay, you need to bench press. Is <laughs> your goal, goal to compete in powerlifting and, and you know break a record in, in the squat? Okay, then you need to do barbell squats because that's the event. But if, if your goal is to increase the size and strength and endurance and overall muscular fitness uh, of your body, then, then you can attack that in a number of different ways. And that includes going to the gym, uh, and it also includes, uh, doing pushups and, and pull-ups and, and body weight exercises. And, and there's, there's all sorts of spaces in between too. You know, I, I have a weighted vest in this office that, uh, you know, for one pe- piece of equipment, uh, it can completely change what I can do around the house, right. right? So I can, I can squat wearing the vest. I can do pushups wearing the vest. I can do pull-ups wearing the vest. And and that increases the load dramatically. I I can also go for walks with the vest on and really increase my energy expenditure. Um, or, or I can wear the vest around the house while I do housework and, and, you know, burn more calories that way, place an extra load on my bones that way. Uh, so there's a, you know, a lot of interesting things we can do in between going to the gym and, and just a pure body weight routine with, with very modest uh, uh equipment some of which can be you know homemade
0: right yeah i, I think even people who start out walking like if you take a, a weight and you suitcase carry that weight so you hold the weight to one side of the body start with something that's not very heavy for you so you can build the stabilizer muscles and build the base level of strength doing then you yep. you know then you overload over time but to me just alternating hands with a suitcase carry around the neighborhood even Would be great for somebody and maybe you're gonna don't worry about what you look like most people don't exercise anytime you're outside doing something you look like you're an outlier these days um but you know to to your point it doesn't necessarily have to be the dedicated strength training session and then um, whatever else you're doing you can combine it with your working around the house and one thing that i'll be honest about uh my training my training sessions are no longer I mean, I'm 43. I got kids. So it, it's not like I go, okay, time for me to train. Everybody mm-hmm. leave me alone. I need my hour or whatever the case is. So my, a lot of days I'm literally in front of my trigger, like putting stakes on or whatever. And I'm, I'm literally doing like lunges at the Traeger or I'm inside, you know, helping my, one of my sons, my son's homeschooled. So I'm inside the house and I'm like helping him with the schoolwork and like in between him answering problems, I'm literally doing exercise sets on the floor. Mm-hmm. So my, my personal training, is not this glorious going to battle with the gym or you know this, this, this session that people sometimes think is, is what is required to build a great physique or get results. Yeah,
1: and you know what? You're doing exercise snacks and, and the, the cardiometabolic benefits of those uh, are documented. You're improving your health and you're also maintaining your muscular fitness at a very, very high level. Right. You, you know, I, I have an expression. Um, when, when we were young, we planned our lives around our workouts. And, and when we got older, we had to plan our workouts around our lives. Um,
0: exactly.
1: that doesn't mean stop moving. It, it might mean that when I get to the office in the morning, I do pushups before I do email. And right. that, you know, when I work in the yard, I, I you know, When I when I'm pushing the wheelbarrow uphill, I sprint. You know, or I take the long way around the house. Or or, or I do lunges when I grill. Or or whatever, whatever it is, whatever works for you, uh, you can really make remarkable improvements in muscular fitness. And uh, like I said, if you're challenging your body several times throughout the day, the the you kind of get a burst, like an improvement in, in health every time you exercise. And, um, you know, there, there are the, uh, the beneficial effects of chronic exercise training, you know, working out for an hour hard every single day works, but there's also the benefits of, you know, doing a five minute exercise snack, a five minute blast of exercise a couple times per day and stringing all those metabolic improvements together throughout your life. Uh, and uh, I personally find fitting in cardio to be the hardest because I dislike it and and it just takes time.
0: Right. Yeah, you can't do that plus other stuff for the most. You you can, you can right. walk on a treadmill desk, but it's mm-hmm. limited. You you can't go on a 3-mile right. run while you're helping your kid with his homework right. or whatever the case is. You you, you have to commit yourself to that thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's a difficult one to fit in, but I find that fitting in snacks of exercise throughout the day, you know, consciously, you know, taking the stairs and moving up the stairs quickly, uh, it is, it is the way, uh, at least at this point in my life, that's become the way is, is not to be idle it is to keep moving and to not convince yourself that, uh, what you're doing is not as productive as what you could be doing in the gym by staying on the elliptical for an hour.
0: Yeah. Well, there was recent research in, out of London, I think, um, I can't remember the university, but they, they took office workers and they had them do all out sprints on a cycle. mm mm-hmm. For three minutes of active, I mean, you have it – was, it was like 30-second burst and then a few minutes slow pedal, 30-second mm-hmm. burst, if I remember correctly. But they were doing three minutes a week of yep. active bursts, and it made significant measurable improvements in, in their – their you know, when they did lipids – I'm sorry, when they did um biomark- their biomarkers from like blood pressure, they did blood work, and they looked at all these various things, and they saw improvements across the board. So I thought it was – and I did a video about it at the time, but I was like, man, three minutes a week. Like – literally you can move three minutes a week with intention i mean it was intense movement but that's if three minutes a week can improve your health then you know and you're talking about doing these things throughout the day so you're doing them several times a day and then that many days a week even if you never had a structured exercise session like that's going to have a huge impact on your health yes and and it's you know we're we're at the point where um,
1: all of the physiology that we've studied, and all of the physiological knowledge we've acquired, it, it's it comes down to human behavior. So, how can I modify my behavior? How can I help you modify your behavior? And if some of these things appeal to you, then uh, you know we're on the right path. So, something like you get to the office and before you check your email, you do push-ups. They could be modified push-ups. They could be five push-ups they could be a hundred push-ups what you know we're working at your level but right. the habit right. becomes before you get stuck on your computer before you get in your chair you do your push-ups or or maybe at the end of the day before you get in your car for your commute home you do you do push-ups then or you do 10 squats or you know um before you go to lunch uh, for, for me personally I, I find that most of the time when i think i'm hungry i'm just bored and if I can discipline myself into doing some sort of movement before I eat, I, I never, I never want to eat after that. You know, so for me, if I, if I say, okay, I'm going to go upstairs and look for peanut butter. Um, if I drop on the floor and do 20 push-ups and I stand back up, the, the craving, if there, if there was a craving, it's gone now. Uh, so those little exercise snacks throughout the day, those little exercise breaks are, are enormously beneficial. And I think they fit better into most working people's lives and, and most parents' lives.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what goes along with what you're saying is, and this is something that when I was younger, I didn't, I wasn't in this camp. And as I've gotten older, I, I kind of switched sides mm-hmm. as as more research, you know, came to light. But the amount of resistance exercise volume that is needed to elicit a a good response is not high and one of the things i see happen online is there's a lot of arguing and bantering about optimal like this is the optimal rep scheme or this amount of volume is optimal and the thing is and I, i think this is a really important part and maybe you can kind of chime in being being the expert um the amount of total volume so let's talk sets per week let's talk hard sets per week the amount of hard sets per week per muscle that someone needs to perform mm-hmm. to get a, a great result or an optimal result. You can still get that great result, if not optimal on fe- way fewer sets than the optimal. So online, I see a lot of arguing over what's optimal and then people wanting to structure their resistance training for optimal. But for most people, it, you know, you, you can do half the number of sets per week or less and get yes. the majority of the possible gains. In in, in the bodybuilding world, people are willing to train an hour and a half or two hours every other day or every day to squeeze out that extra 5%. And I think it's important for the normal person, the average listener, to realize that I'm going to get most of the benefits of resistance training. I'm going to build most of the muscle mass from doing a few hard sets per muscle Mm -hmm. two times a week. I don't need to. So can you kind of just talk about the difference between optimal and good and, and what the disparity in the amount of volume that's required to get to reach those things.
1: Sure, and and I think um, this is one of the things that hasn't changed about uh, the resistance training game over the years, is that we're we're all chronically overtrained, and we're we're constantly comparing ourselves to the wrong person, which is bad enough an individual or the wrong groups of individuals. So if, if you're comparing yourself to Uh, a competitive bodybuilder, a competitive physique athlete. First of all, they're already bigger and stronger and leaner than 99% of the population. There there could be something very different about that person. Second of all, that could be their full-time job, right? Um, Training is their full-time job. Training and eating and sleeping is their full-time job. And you have uh, other things to do. Uh, and, and third, um, you know, they're gifted, that's their full-time job. And, and part of that full-time job is a recuperation. And, and my guess is for most of us, we're not getting the amount of sleep we need, you know, whereas some of these athletes who are training 90 minutes a day, seven days a week are getting eight hours of sleep a night plus a two hour nap.
0: Right.
1: So it, it's recovery right. a, as well, not just the training part of the equation. So it's genetics, it, it's training and recovery. And then it's pharmaceutical assistance. Right. Right. Uh, And I suppose I should add the fourth one would be Photoshop, although that hasn't been historically there. Um, But, you know, if you're comparing yourself to someone who's, you know, got space alien genetics and they have no stress in their lives, their only job is to train and eat and sleep. uh, And they're, they're, you know, not admitting it until they get caught that they're using uh, drugs that will assist them to recover, that will increase muscle hypertrophy. Um, that's a terrible thing to do to yourself. That's a terrible comparison. Uh, you know, all of the resistance training research, like some of those early studies on older adults, those were, you know, two days per week, about 30 minutes of resistance training. And th- there's been a real movement to study minimal amounts of resistance training. And with you know, two days a week, 30 minutes a session, we see improvements in hemoglobin A1C. We, we see improvements in strength. We see improvements in walking speed. We see improvements in uh, habitual physical activity, obviously improvements in strength and bone density and, and the usual things we talk about, but it's a lot less than people think. So if you're comparing yourself to a professional athlete, you just have to stop that unless your goal is to be that Professional athlete. If you're talking about you know getting from where you are up to you know better than 90 percent of the people in your age group, it's two or three days per week for about a half an hour. Um, it's a much a lower um, volume, so far fewer working sets. Uh, and then if you prefer, your reps up in the 15 to 20 range. That's fine. You could be down around eight to twelve, or you could be up around fifteen to twenty, and you're still receiving the same benefits in strength, muscular endurance, and, and muscle hypertrophy. So we're just we haven't done a good job, and and the science is young, and and the science is is the body of literature is not as large as with aerobic exercise training. But we just haven't done a good enough job getting the word out that a little bit of resistance exercise goes a long way, and, and if you look at the big big studies. And, and, you know, the ultimate question would be mortality. If you do this, are you less likely to die? You know, no proxy marker like lipids or blood sugar or body fat. If you do this, you're less likely to die. If you look at those studies, you will find that under an hour of resistance training a week, dramatically increase, dramatically reduces your, your likelihood of dying. You know, so, um, you know, we have to think carefully about our goals and and we have to kind of shake out, you know, what sort of bad influences are are in our head, what sort of, you know, severely Photoshopped individuals, you know, um, I I certainly appreciate how difficult it is to, to come up with reasonable goals when social media has changed the game so much. Um, you, you know, um, what we can do with pictures on Photoshop is incredible, but what we can now do with basically photoshopping videos, which no one really ever thought we could do, you know, right. not with an app on your phone where you could, you know, make waistlines, re, you know, ridiculously small, impossibly small, shoulders impossibly wide, you know, change the lighting, change the filter. Um, and we're not really looking at, any good examples of human potential anymore we're looking at something that's like the comic books that expire inspired me a long time ago right you, you know so um it, it's it's we're 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 frightening people away from resistance training by overcomplicating it and by not getting them the message that two or three times a week for 30 minutes and you can make fantastic gains and that's muscle that's bone that's um every system in your body you know I, I think some of the most impressive research on the benefits of resistance exercise is the stuff we don't talk about at all and that's the improvements in mental health right there there are two incredible meta-analyses so uh, remember a meta-analysis is a collection of every research study that's ever been published and then it's mathematically analyzed so when we collapse all these data together we can say Here's the size of the signal. Here's how well this works. And if you look at the meta-analyses on resistance exercise, n- not walking, not cardio, just resistance exercise on anxiety or resistance exercise on symptoms of depression, it's phenomenal. The signal is so large, it, it almost makes me think that not prescribing resistance exercise to improve mental health is almost, it, it's almost negligent. It, it should be standard. It should be standard of care. And, and you know, I think resistance of exercise should be standard of care when, you know, someone's leaving the hospital. I think there should be an exercise prescription. I, I think it should be part of a lot of treatment plans, but it's a lot lower volume than people actually think. And and I think social media has made that message harder to get out there.
0: Yeah, that that's one of the things that I try to stress, and I I mean, I posted something this morning on Twitter, and I already got people like kind of fired up a little bit, but I I basically said, I said that you're, because I've looked over the various data that are out there, and you know, not a scientist, but what I'm looking for in this particular instance is, when they take a study, and they look at people performing one set of an exercise, now I want to make sure these are high intensity sets, that they're, they're high effort sets, rather, so these are like, you know, hey, one set to failure versus three sets versus five sets, or at least close proximity to failure, you can, you can see where set one, so the group that performed one set, they'll yield like somewhere in the mid-60s to 70%. Uh, at the end of the study term, they'll say, oh, they gained this much muscle mass, right? Then they'll compare it to set, to, to group two, which is, say, three sets, and they'll find that group one gained almost 70% of the, the total possible or, or the muscle mass that the highest gaining group did, which yeah. maybe is the five, five sets per, per exercise group. So it's like, okay, you can do five times the volume of this other group and you can gain 30% more muscle mass. But for a normal person, to net 70% of the total possible gains in one set, it's like, mm-hmm. dude, you could lift for 15 minutes. You could literally do, let me do my push-ups. Let me do my, my pull-ups if I can. Nice. If I can't do pull-ups, let's do something with a resistance band. doesn't matter. But it's like I could just go through and do a circuit of these eight exercises, and I could literally be in and out in 15 minutes, and mm-hmm. I could net 70% of the gains. And like that's the message I try to get across. So, like my own mother, um, she passed away. Uh, two years ago, and she was 76, so not old, um, to die, you know, and she retired uh, in in her early 60s, and after retirement, she was a hairdresser, stood on her feet all day long, she became very sedentary, and it was a rapid decline in musculoskeletal health, she had osteoporosis, and she ended up having to go through, like, multiple marathon back surgeries, it was was all bad, and I told her for years after she retired, because I could see it happening, her posture was falling apart, I was like, mom, you have to be physically active you cannot just lay around all day like you did this and i i saw her literally go from this strong woman mm. to just frail frail you know and then ultimately like i said she passed away um of pneumonia she wasn't strong enough to, to beat it um but it she you know she had this script to go to physical therapy and it was like not close to the house and all this stuff and i was trying to tell her i was like no wall push-ups right there at home like it, it, it can be so so simple to institute and i just see all these barriers so that's one of the reasons why i try to help people realize like no one one set is great if that's what you got time to do two sets if when i look at these studies if you do two high effort sets so try hard get close to failure i mean you got to put effort into these sets Mm -hmm. but you do two sets per exercise and you get like 80 percent of the total possible gains so let's take a year somebody trains for a year doing five sets or whatever of or you know the the optimal quote-unquote optimal Exercise prescription and they gain 10 pounds of muscle in a year. Another person does the first two sets yield 79, 80% of the gains, and they gained eight pounds of muscle. No one can see a difference. Like, yeah, technically, the, mm-hmm. the person with the optimal program got better results, but it wasn't that much better. Like you could have done two sets and you could have got great results. So that that's you know, the, I think the overarching theme I think for this conversation for people is like don't erect these walls in your mind about why this isn't going to work or that's not going to work or my program is not the best. Like the, it doesn't even matter. Just put, put a high effort into a couple of sets two times a week and you're going to get the lion's share of, of the progress. If not optimal, it's going to be damn good.
1: Absolutely. And you know um, and, and consistency, you do it and, and you right. keep doing it. And and that's why another reason it has to be enjoyable or bearable uh, but, you know, we have to design exercise programs that are sustainable uh, and a, a very small amount of work offers major results. It, it really reminds me of, of the, you know, the protein discussion, which is, you know, should I have whey protein concentrate or whey protein isolate? And if there's a difference there, it's tiny. The difference is between eating enough protein and not eating enough protein. So if you eat enough protein, uh, that will help augment the resistance training response. But everyone's arguing about protein quality and protein timing uh, and and protein supplements. Just eat enough. I promise you'll get 95% of the way there, if not more, you know? And, And it's the same type of thing with the exercise program. You know, if you work hard, If you're consistent two to three days per week, hit every major muscle group, you'll make the progress you want, you know, but, but assess your goals. You know, if the goal is to break the, you know, a record in the squat, then you have to go squat. If your goal is to have muscular strength and muscle mass in your lower body so that you can ski or mow your lawn or golf or, or carry your kids, then you can accomplish that with much, much less work than you think.
0: So along those lines, uh, we're talking about resistance exercise as it relates to healthy aging. Mm -hmm. I understand you have a new paper or a a couple new papers that you've worked on. Um, So do you want to fill us in on on what those are about? Well, I
1: think uh, we've touched on a a bit of it already. And and that is um, that um, we're trying to bring people around to the concept that we shouldn't be recommending people do aerobic exercise training and also resistance training right now. I understand when, when you're talking about two different things, you have to list one first and you have to list the other one second. That's how language works. Right. But it, it, there has not been um, really an emphasis on the benefits of resistance exercise from the major public health organizations, from uh, the major sports science and sports medicine organizations, it's always do your cardio, do your aerobic exercise training, and also lift weights. Right. And, and I think people feel that messaging. And I, I think, you know, there's some biases in there, but the fact is there's a massive amount of literature on the beneficial effects of aerobic exercise training and improved cardio fitness. And there is a much smaller, although rapidly growing body of literature on resistance exercise and the benefits across organ systems, uh, you know, uh, across all systems, you know. And, and, you know, for the past 25 years, we've just been talking about resistance exercise and muscle and maybe bone once in a while. But, but while we've been quiet, uh, all of this information has accrued. Resistance exercise improves symptoms of depression Improves anxiety, improves quality and quantity of sleep, uh, you know, improves cardiometabolic health, reduces you know your your risk of uh, premature death, as well as makes you stronger and and gives you strong bones, right? So now we're 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 in the conversation with aerobic exercise training. So uh, some of the projects I'm involved with now are are I hope helping to get the message out there that. We shouldn't be saying either or, we we should never be saying just do resistance exercise or just do aerobic exercise training, but we really shouldn't be brushing off resistance exercise as it only is good for muscle or muscle and bone. Because I, I think there's a lot more overlap between the beneficial effects of aerobic and resistance exercise training than people think. And for aerobic exercise training, increases in muscle mass and increases in strength and power are extremely unlikely. You need the weights to do that. Uh, so it goes back to one of the first things we said, if you have an individual who for some reason is not going to walk, they're not going to get on the treadmill, uh, they, they're not going to get on the elliptical or the stairmaster, and they want to improve their health, start them with some resistance exercise and it can lead like a gateway drug to greater things and, and an increase in different types of physical activity. Uh, We we really should be thinking about resistance exercise on par with aerobic exercise training. Uh, As the the data emerge, uh, like I mentioned earlier with quality of life for cancer patients um, um, we're thinking differently now, and we're speaking more openly about it. You know, uh, I, I had said earlier that, um, it's been it's an inter- interesting to be this age because of how i've watched resistance training change from just linemen to now everyone in the world should do it right? right there was a time when cardiac rehabilitation if you had a heart attack they told you to stay in bed and rest and then your conditioning plummeted right and and then it be- then it became okay get out of bed and we're going to get you walking which is wonderful and then it became get out of bed, walk to the gym, lift some weights, and then walk back. Uh, so resistance training was incorporated into cardiac rehabilitation. Now we're incorporating resistance training into cancer rehabilitation. The field of exercise oncology is is growing rapidly. Uh, and we're okay. really thinking about things differently.
0: So Go ahead. Especially with cachexia, right? Cancer, you have this wasting that happens sure. that, that is brutal because as that happens, it limits standard of care, how much chemo can you get or what drugs can you take? You, yep. you have to maintain a certain level of health in order to withstand some of the treatments.
1: Right. Um, side effects yeah. of the
0: cancer and side effects of the treatment. Right. And so, it, I, and I think you're right. I've noticed right. that there are papers coming out now where exercise, and it can be resistance or this, this extends into both types of exercise, but yes. just physical activity in general improves health outcomes in almost every case in almost every disease. Mm-hmm. So, so it's definitely something where I know, Dealing with a disease or being in a disease state can make f- being physically active more difficult for you. Mm-hmm. But it, it, when you look at the outcomes, it's it's something where you've got to figure out how to get it in. Uh, and, and I feel for people yeah. going, I have a, an uncle right now dealing with cancer. I, I feel for, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to be in his shoes. Um, but, but yeah, it's one of those things where, again, because from an evolutionary perspective, we never could have been it, sick or not. You got to be active. Right. So, so, so and, because you would have had to to survive.
1: Yeah, and and cancers are, can be very different, different types of cancers, and the the negative effects of the medications can be very very different between individuals. So we can't just you know say everyone who has cancer go lift weights, um, but we're we're no longer really afraid to study it, and um, we have you know we actually have exercise oncology. Uh, degrees, graduate programs popping up. We have certifications uh, for people to work with exor- as exercise cancer rehabilitation specialists. So it, it's it's fantastic to watch us um, grow, right? Um, one of one of the things that I ask people because it's it's a pet peeve of mine is if we're if we're taking prevention seriously, if we're taking exercise seriously as a medicine. Um, why isn't exercise included in your discharge notes from the hospital? How many people are leaving the hospital who, you know, that's their one time they're going to have contact with a provider, with a health expert. Why are they leaving without any advice on how to become more physically active? And, And to even add to that, there's some wonderful research where they sent, um, fitness professionals, physical therapists into the patient's rooms. And, you know, depending on their medical condition, they had them exercise in the hospital. Why why aren't we talking about inpatients doing resistance exercise in in bed if they're in the hospital for a period of time? That loss of muscle mass is ultimately going to, you know, be the reason that they, they can't hang on. Uh, so we're, we're getting closer, but I, I think I'd like a much more serious discussion about, uh, are we really thinking about exercise as a medicine such that, we, you know, we'll prescribe it to inpatients and we'll make it part of the discharge notes when people leave their doctors? Yeah, I have, I have big dreams. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I, I mean, I agree. I agree because there, you know, survival of the fittest is not just a meme or a saying thing. Uh, you know, I don't, you don't need to be a bodybuilder, but the the more hearty your musculoskeletal system is, and, and that health extends. Very few people are going to have a robustly strong musculoskeletal system, and then weak organs. I mean, there, there's an interior, there, there's a, an improvement right. in overall systemic health that happens with exercise. Right. So, so even if even if you get sick,
1: your ability to Survive the illness or survive the side effects of the medication could be improved from a physical activity program. So, even if you got sick anyway, the exercise would help you maintain your quality of life as you fight for your health. I just have, I'm I'm an unbelievably biased exercise physiologist. I have nothing but good things to say about exercise.
0: I mean, it's side effect free, so
1: can't help it. My students, I'm sure, are sick of hearing it day after day that every lecture winds up coming back to exercise is good. Keep doing
0: it. Yeah. So, one of the things I wanted to touch on before we wrap up is so I think people are now keenly aware that creatine benefits resistance training pursuits, right? If Anything you do that is explosive in nature, creatine's going to have, or, or strength based in nature, creatine's going to have a benefit. But I've also seen some research to show that endurance athletes who supplement with creatine, their performance at endurance sport doesn't improve, but their recovery from endurance sport actually improves. So they're able to get back to train more quickly, um, So, which I found that to be interesting. But also there's emerging data showing that there are cognitive benefits to creatine supplementation. And these things may not – if you eat meat, if you have a certain base level of creatine in your diet, perhaps those things won't actually apply to you. But for people that are vegetarian or uh, an aging population, and maybe mm-hmm. that's tied to them not not eating as much, so they're not consuming as much animal-based protein. Um, but can you maybe touch on the benefits to creatine outside of strength training? Because I think people understand that, hey, I'm strength training consistently, creatine will benefit me. Sure. But in what other ways might creatine benefit somebody um, based on on your research?
1: Sure. And and we can come back and do a, a whole couple of hours on creatine.
0: Yeah. There's,
1: there's always more to talk about with creatine. So, um, your, you know, your muscles are already filled with creatine. You, you consume creatine in your diet, your body manufactures it too. If you take creatine supplements, you can increase your muscle creatine levels. And then any sort of exercise challenge that resembles high intensity sprinting. So it, it could be a set of pushups or it could be an actual sprint, or it could be, uh, you, you know, team sport activity, intermittent activity, any of those things um, can benefit from having more muscle creatine, uh, which you can achieve with supplementation pretty easily. The The brain is a little bit different because the whereas the muscles don't manufacture creatine and it's really easy to get creatine into your muscles, the brain manufactures its own creatine, but it's the same type of principle that um, your, your brain is going to rely on creatine to produce energy during during stressful times. And potentially you could supplement with creatine and increase your brain creatine levels. And then any type of stressful task that you were engaged with could benefit from having this, this increased brain creatine levels from the supplementation. So there are a, a few studies now showing that um, in 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 different populations. So some of these studies were vegetarian. Some of them were older adults. Some of them were younger adults. Some of them were were stressed with sleep deprivation. Some of them were stressed with exercise. So a whole mix of different types of studies, when you put them all together, there's a really consistent improvement in cognitive function or cognitive processing in, in people who've gone through just a standard creatine supplementation protocol. Uh, th- this is, you know, good news for young people and, and certainly good news for older adults as well. Uh, I think it might be particularly valuable for people who are going through some sort of stress, uh, which could be um, disease. Uh, it could be, you know, disease that uh, results in remarkably low physical activity. Like if you're bedridden, uh, it could be stress. It could be sleep deprivation. It could be all of the above. That I, I think the benefits are, will are likely to be even more pronounced, but it's a very consistent response in the literature that uh, regular regular creatine supplementation doses appear to improve brain function in in all different types of populations.
0: Now, there, with with creatine supplementation, uh, by by way of how it works, there is a small increase in total body water. So when you mm-hmm. do take creatine, it, it's common to see the scale go up. A pound or two uh I, I encourage people not to get discouraged i have clients sometimes in their yeah. strength training they want to lose weight so we say hey let's let's try creatine but if you notice a little bit of of a small fluctuation in weight don't don't stress right it's not not body fat uh, and at some point in the future if you stop taking it that that invariably will go away um, but are there any other side effects i mean i've heard your hair falls out and i've been taking creatine since i was 20 i'm 43 and my hair Hasn't fallen out, so at least for me, I'm not, not, not too worried about that. Um, but you know, there's people that it, your hair falling out, it increases DHT. Like, is it bad for your kidneys? Maybe you can just run through those. Uh, I know a lot of those are just, you know, urban legends. But maybe you can kind of touch on this.
1: A group of us actually got together and, and wrote a scientific paper addressing the like the top ten urban legends, which I'll send you a copy of. You can share it with your your listeners and your followers. Uh, because we'll
0: make it into an infographic.
1: That's fine. Hey, hey, when, when there's some misinformation that gets out there in the world of nutrition, it lasts at least 30 years. <laughs> I mean, I I'm getting questions that I thought we resolved with research, you know, 20, 25 years ago, but the, the misinformation is still getting to the athletes, still getting to the parents, even the physicians, uh, coaches as well. So I don't mind answering these questions, but it, it's, it's incredible how long lasting misinformation is in this business. Um, a lot of it, you know, starts off with, with, you know, a misinterpretation or, or a mistake or um, um, a single paper is a good example. So, you know, science is uh, it's not about a single paper. It's not about the most recent paper. It's about a collection of research studies and, and some research studies will just find a result by sheer luck. Right, so if you do hundred studies, ninety-nine of them might get the same result, but one of them, just random luck, might get the complete opposite result. So when we look at all one hundred of those papers, we realize that you know overwhelmingly the evidence supports this particular effect, and this one study we don't know what happened there. Um, that's just kind of how research works. And you know, as an example, um, one person or one group did a study on creatine supplementation. And they measured uh, DHT, dihydrotestosterone levels, and dihydrotestosterone levels are loosely connected to hair loss. It, it's not a, a completely unanimous um, finding or unanimous thing that your dihydrotestosterone levels will equal your your hair, uh, you know, your hair health or your hair growth. So we have this one study, and uh, they show an increase small increase in dihydrotestosterone levels with creatine supplementation. If you go back and look closely at that paper, you'll find a couple things. Um, One is that the increase in the creatine group was small. This is the danger of only using percent changes and not looking at the absolute values. The increase was small. It remained in the normal range. And the placebo group had a reduction in dihydrotestosterone and statistically, when one group goes up and one group goes down, that's kind of where the statistical finding comes from. Like if the placebo group had stayed the same like it was supposed to, there, there probably wouldn't have been a statistical effect or, or they may not have been. So, um, you know, changes in the placebo group confound the paper, um, y- you know, n- not a- exceeding the normal range. Uh, confounds the paper. The fact that no one has been able to reproduce these results in years compounds, you know, confounds the paper. And, uh, you know, it, theoretically, I'm not sure why would we would be looking at creatine and dihydrotestosterone anyway, because there's about a dozen papers that have measured creatine supplementation and testosterone, and they've they found nothing, right? It's, it's not going to alter your endocrine system. It's a nutrient that's involved in energy metabolism in your muscles and in your brains. Uh, if you ate an extra hamburger a day, I don't expect that your testosterone levels would change dramatically. And I think your testosterone levels are the feeder for your dihydrotestosterone levels. So how did dihydrotestosterone levels go up, but not, uh, how did DHT go up, but not testosterone? I don't know. Why didn't testosterone go up in any of these other studies? Probably because it doesn't make any sense that it should. So the the data were always interesting for that brief period of time. But here we are years later, and we have enough data to say, I don't really believe there's something happening here. I know there's an ongoing study that's supposed to be addressing this actually from a hair perspective, however one measures, you know, uh hair growth or hair loss that's uh, that's outside of my domain uh but but really the whole uh, creatine and hair loss thing is is, as far as we know now based on many studies it's it's much ado about nothing one study that that you know gave us some interesting findings but has never been replicated and on its own doesn't make too much sense and
0: then the creatine and kidney damage or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, and another, you know, a, another bit of
1: misinformation. So uh, sometimes misinformation comes from social media. Sometimes it comes from the news and sometimes it comes from medical journals. So um, two investigators published a case study. Now, case studies can be very important, but a, a retrospective case study where someone shows up in the emergency room or they show up in your office and you kind of backtrack and try to figure out what got them there, what happened. And that, that's generally considered the weakest form of science,
0: right?
1: right? So, um, you know, a case study shows that someone had elevated creatinine levels. The person already had creatin disease, cre- excuse me, the person already had renal disease. They, they were taking a, a medication that's incredibly nephrotoxic and, and they were on creatine supplements and their urine creatinine levels increased, which would happen if you ate a big steak.
0: Right.
1: Right. So that turned into this guy with kidney disease taking this awful medication was on creatine supplements and creatine supplements caused his kidney diseases uh, to get worse. When you look back at that case study, you, you'll you think, wow, this is really not the highest quality science we can do here. Right.
0: And, and of course...
1: So since that time, there has been... Multiple clinical trials on all different types of populations—patient populations, athletic populations, uh, general population—to show that creatine supplementation does not um, cause renal dysfunction. Creatine supplementation does not uh, does not even increase markers of kidney dysfunction, uh, like creatinine excretion under most cases. So. Um, much ado about nothing. And and I always a- ask uh, people at, at my talks, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, adding enough creatine to your diet that equates to like an extra hamburger a day. Are you really that frightened by an extra hamburger a day that you, you think your kidneys would just collapse? It doesn't make much sense. So Took us ten or fifteen years of good, good quality studies to say that this case study that started at all probably shouldn't have been published, and uh, certainly spoke beyond the data that were, were, you know, available at that time. So there, there's no recommendation for a- anyone with um, normal renal function to have any sort of testing or talk to their doctor or any such thing uh, before uh, taking, uh, you know uh, recommended doses of creatine supplements.
0: Yeah. Which would be five grams a day. That's all I think anybody really needs to take. Yeah. What do you think about five? So if somebody eats meat regularly, two and a half a day, do you think would would be sufficient?
1: Yeah. So if we're talking about muscle creatine, you know, elevated muscle creatine levels remain that way for weeks and weeks after you stop taking the supplement. So if, if you take, you know, one, scoop per day. The manufacturer scoops are typically five grams. If you take one scoop per day, great. If you take a half a scoop every other day, fine. If you forget to take it and one day you have a big steak, which is loaded with creatine, fine. You know Your your muscles are super saturated with creatine. There's a limit. There's a ceiling. You're up around that ceiling. And if you stop taking creatine, you're not getting back down to normal for about six weeks. So Uh, If you want to drop it down to three grams per day, uh, you know, go ahead. It's it's a bit related to how large you are. If you're a 300-pound offensive tackle, then maybe five grams per day. If you're my size, then you could probably, uh, you know, get away with three grams per day. Um, But I've not seen any data to suggest that anything bad would happen by taking five grams per day. Uh, You would just, you know, absorb it and excrete the excess.
0: And this is the part where the power went out and I did not get a close. So I'm going to have Eric back on for around round two. Uh, the guy's just phenomenal. Uh, we could talk for hours. Prior to having him back on, I'll make sure to reach out uh, on all my social media channels and get questions so I can do a good Q&A with Eric. So stay tuned for that. And if you have questions, I will make sure to get to those when we do a part two.